Welcome to the world of the not too distant future. Get going! Go! A brutal gang is reshaping the world into their own vision of hell. And only one man can stop them. Jean-Claude Van Damme is leading the battle between good and evil. Take them out. As it's never been fought before. He's on a desperate mission to rescue a cyborg who holds the secret for saving the world. Why did you help me? I don't want to see you die. From the dust of destruction, rises the warrior of a new age. Say goodbye, my friend. Jean-Claude Van Damme has become the first hero of the 21st century. Welcome to Midnight Flicks, a podcast dedicated to discussing movies relegated to a late-night purgatory. I am one of your hosts, Crate Mockingbird, and joining me as always is Hondo5150 and Paul... Reed Smith Moog, aka Kevin Costner Fender. <laughs> All right. Well, you know, we we were we were jokingly comparing this to like a like a degenerate water world. You know, I don't know if there was any jokes on your part. I think that you were in all earnestness, which I brought up the point off Mike that if you think about it more critically, this movie came out many years before Waterworld. So Waterworld is kind of like a high-minded look back at Cyborg. You're not wrong. I, I, yeah, okay, fine. Like, I mean, when I say I wasn't, like I was joking, it's me. It's like I'm, I'm making a joke, but it's like I believe in the joke, right? But yeah, I, I am Kevin Costner Fender today. Yeah. I think by claiming that Waterworld is high-minded is being awfully generous also. <laughs> I, I, you know, I don't, I don't follow your logic. I mean, okay. I, I found Waterworld to be a total piece of shit. Yeah, it is a piece sure. of shit, but I think, I think we can agree that it's like a piece of shit for people like pieces of shit that think they're high-minded. It's like the, it's like the, it's like the country club piece of shit. Really? I just, okay, we're getting way off topic all, all, right off the bat. I just always thought, because we talked about Waterworld on on this podcast. Pat brought it. I had never seen it before. I had avoided it because it's like, why? It just sounds like something I'm going to not like. I've always thought it was just generally accepted that that is a piece of shit movie by everybody. Uh, okay, I, I, I think so. But I also remember when it came out and it was definitely like a, like a, like a yuppie water cooler type of movie at the time. Like, mm. you know, like people that have like fucking polo shirts, like fucking talking about it at work or something. All right. Yeah. I miss that. Uh, to me, it's just that is water world is considered the quintessential big, but budget flop. Yeah. Yes, but uh, maybe I'm just remembering this wrong because like I saw it when I was like our young kid and never saw it again. But I thought it was like a like a mainstream like I don't know maybe it just like wasn't successful at all but I remember a brief time where everyone was talking about it. It wasn't successful at all. It lost. They were probably a talking about the financial blunder of it. Like I'm I'm thinking about this movie like 
I remember it being in the news. I remember it being like a, a big name. Like, I mean, put it this way. They, they sunk and burned an aircraft carrier full of money with that movie. Yeah. That's like not even a joke. That was yeah. the most expensive. We need to, we need to chalk time. this up to me. We need to chalk this up to me being like a dumbass nine year old or however <laughs> old I was. Like, I think I just, I don't know. I, I remember it being like a mainstream, like big deal. And I guess maybe it wasn't. Well, anyways, aside from uh, John's misremembering of the uh, <laughs> the movie we're not talking about. <laughs> yeah. It wouldn't be the first time. Uh, I just want to give a shout out to tonight's sponsor. Big shout out to Hunky Fender's Marauder Medicated Teeth Powder. When you want to be fresh and you want to look your best, a pirate smile and pirate style, that's what we're going to give you with Hunky Fender's Marauder, Marauder Medicated Tooth Powder. That's right. Um, so, I mean, yeah. Yeah. You got to have that sharpened, chiseled grill, but you got to be fresh at the same time, you know? You got to look good. You got to. How else are you going to strap on? I mean, it's like it's like polishing a turd, all right? You're going to strap on your chain mail. You're going to don your blue blockers, your dusty blue blockers. Dusty and then- ass fucking blue blocks. <laughs> your nappy, yeah. shitty dreadlocks. Yeah. Your football yeah. gear. And then you know, I can honestly say, like, this episode so far, like, nobody knows what the fuck we're talking about so far. <laughs> like, well, not even not, the weirdos. We're, we're talking about Waterworld, right? I thought we were talking. <laughs> without, <laughs> without further ado, because this is Brandon's movie, we'll let Brandon talk about what is it exactly that we are discussing for tonight's episode. Uh, we are talking about 1989 Cyborg, directed by Albert Pion, uh, starring Jean-Claude Van Damme and Vincent Klein. Um, Deborah Richter, there's a couple other smaller names, but um, Albert Pion had a run of these cyborg um, inspired films. And this is a Canon picture right in the, I, the sweet spot of Canon movies for me. I looking back over the years, there's tons of Canon movies that I, I uh, really liked. And, um, yeah, it's post-apocalypse at its, I don't know, best or worst, I guess, depending on <laughs> which way you look at it. I like how you stated that it's the canon sweet spot for when it was, in fact, canon's last movie because they went bankrupt. So yeah. the sweet spot for you is when they financially completely shit the bed. Well, <laughs> if you look at the like decade <laughs> up to this, yeah. those movies all in yeah. that kind of era – uh, I don't know. Off the top of my head, the first thing that comes to mind is Over the Top. Yeah. Love that movie. Yeah. Uh, some would call it a piece of shit, but Menahem like Golan, it. another Menahem Golan flick produced. Yeah, flick. right. Lots of action movies. Uh, I think they did Revenge of the Ninja. Um, handful. They did Cobra. Um, yeah, I mean, Canon was the household name for big dick swinging for the rafters american action movies right yeah this was the swan song but mm-hmm. uh to me it's it's one of those nuggets that nobody fucking cares about but i love it um yeah i watching it again after many years of watching this movie through my <laughs> younger life uh it's still a, a favorite jcvd of mine. 
John, I know you want to say, just hold hold your thoughts. Let's get through this first part. Let's let Brandon finish it up. So give okay. us a, give so us. I a, have to make the face, dude. I have to make the face so I don't say shit right now. All right, give us the synopsis, the yeah. budget, all that. Sure, sure. Uh, I wrote this one. I wrote it like a Cormac McCarthy book, just like one. R I P. R I P. Yeah, dude. Okay, let's see if I can get through this. Didn't you oh, just sh- die? Yes. I did. <laughs> You're cutting the steam right out of my fucking life here. Uh, You're going to have to breathe again. A shell of a man driven by vengeance pursues a cyborg who holds intel of a cure for a plague blighting the planet across wasteland America towards a research center in Atlanta, beating back a band of bloodthirsty marauding pirates led by a nihilistic maniac with a god complex intent of delivering the cyborg, destroying the cure, and unleashing the plague in a sadistic power play. Well, Cormac, that synopsis was certainly more inspiring and made me think more about this movie than the movie itself. So mm-hmm. thank you. I, I'm, I'm cur- I cannot wait it to find It doesn't out make why. me think more about the movie. It just straight up is better than the movie. Like so, what you just said. But I want to point out as far as like the success, let's let's right off the top, let's point out one of the major successes about this movie, which is kind of uh, an exception for a lot of things that we talk about on here is this movie actually made a lot of money. It made a lot of money. It was invested into it. It yeah, was a very was, low budget effort. The budget was 500 K uh, worldwide on IMDb. It grossed a uh, little over 10 mil, 10 mil, 166,459 bucks. You would think so, that hopefully that helped pay off some of the uh, Canon's uh, defaulted bills. Yeah, well, and I did, wasn't sure if I put this in the trivia or not, but because it's not really pertaining to this movie, I'm going to front load with, this isn't the first movie where Albert Pion's, um, you know, release of it, his visionary release of it was completely rewritten by somebody else. This yeah. is actually like the 12th or 13th movie he did. And a lot of his pictures were with... Uh, canon if i'm not mistaken um but <laughs> you'd wonder if you have to go back and rewrite the director's work after it's all cut and ready to go that many times why you would keep taking him on f- for these movies well because it sounds like he was a sucker yeah sure <laughs> it sounds like he kept like getting his vision which yeah it, it that's what it just sounds like he he w- clearly wanted to be an auteur and he was working within a studio system that just was like, no, we're going to do this because, you know, we need to conform this movie to the zeitgeist of the time. So we're going to have Jean-Claude Van Damme edit the shit out of it. So there's no drama or what or whatnot. There's just punching and kicking. That's what it sounds like to me. <laughs> the punching, kicking machine. The punching, kicking machine. So anyways... Yeah, I mean, and it sounds like Pyun really, yeah, he got fucking done dirty, but also like, wow, you're an idiot for letting this happen to you 12 times. I don't know. Again, I know about that happening, but I don't know the circumstances behind it. It sounds weird. Well, and the other thing, too, is this is the beginning of uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme's like superstardom in America. Yeah. Um, it's like a year after, uh, what is that movie called? Black Eagle or Black whatever. Can't remember what the fuck it's called, but um, Black Dildo. 
<laughs> oh yeah, that movie Black Dildo with John Claude Van Damme. I remember that one. Um, let me see if we can find it real quick. Uh, well, anyway, so he, you know, became real popular in America right around right before this movie came out. Uh, Bloodsport, big hit, obviously, yeah. and um, taking over that whole directorial. Uh, the edits and stuff. This isn't the first movie. He did that a lot in Bloodsport too. Any of these movies where you get that triple cam kick deal that <laughs> happens, uh, that's like indicative of Van Damme's editing. Um, but Wait, yes. I, I think I missed something earlier. John claude Van Damme edited this? Yes. Yeah, yeah. It was the 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 first cut of his movie was played to test audiences and they fucking hated it. Like one, one out of 100 people thought, thought it was good. It was much more dark. It was like a drama. It was black and white. It's real stylized. Black Eagle is the movie I was thinking. 1988. Got it. Plays the villain. Then this movie came out in 89. Uh, it looks like if this chronology is right on, on uh, IMDB, it's Black Eagle. That was pretty popular. It was actually, no, uh, excuse me. It was Bloodsport '88, then Black Eagle, where he played a villain, and then '89 uh, was this movie, Kickboxer, Lionheart. And then it goes into his run of you know taking over the action spot in the '80s or a contender of the American action scene. I have to say, if he edited this movie, I'm honestly kind of impressed. Yeah, I'm. I mean, because honestly. he found something that he's actually worse at than acting. <laughs> Damn. <Psst. laughs> I, wish the, I wish the people listening could see your face right now. Brandon. <laughs> Just stunned. Dude, Just. You, look like, you, you look like my wife after I say something without thinking. Yeah, I have that ability to just be totally nonplussed when somebody says something that's like a hot take. <laughs> well, okay. Um, so hold on. My, my point is, <laughs> is that I'm just, this is just a, a guess, but I'm guessing that uh, JCVD's, you know, entrance into the American stage uh, as far as being like a hot action contender of the 80s probably drew a lot of the butts to the seats because – this movie got totally dunked on by re big reviews. Yeah. Uh, I just kind of, you know, glanced through them. Uh, Roger Ebert said something about um, like bumbling neo-Nazis. Yeah, I read that. <laughs> you know, uh, and, and big arms and tits fucking aplenty, uh, which... There's not really a lot of tits in this. Yeah, no. So that... That when I read that when I read that review, uh, that was clear. Go figure. Ebert wrote a lazy review, um, right. but it was just like, did you watch the same movie I watched? It was like, there's some tits in it, like, but not enough for me. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I don't, I don't get the neo Nazis. I, no, I also there's like the 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 lead antagonist is uh, he's a Pacific Islander. He's like, why? Yeah. <laughs> right. So, and there's tons of yeah, there's tons of like multicultured people in his gang. I don't yeah, understand. They're, they're, it's a real rainbow coalition of, <laughs> of bad teeth pirates. It goes to show it goes to show that even when Roger Ebert and I agree that a movie sucks, that he's still an idiot. 
Still an idiot. Right. But yeah. it's also a dark day when Roger Ebert and I agree that a movie sucks, I think. Because most of the movies that he thinks sucks, I like. What is it? Can can anyone think of a movie he thinks is good? Like he yeah. praises? He liked Halloween. Ah. Yeah, I know. I don't know why that one got a pass, but yeah, he 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 really liked Halloween. Um, so what I wanted I wanted to interject this critical uh, little little blurb that I found before maybe you have because <laughs> I enjoyed this one. Yeah, uh, I can't remember who it was attributed to, but they said since other uh, characters also carry instrument makers' names, Prophet Roland, etc., maybe this should have been a battle of the bands. <laughs> uh- yeah, it's I, I stuck around to watch the credits to see how many others there were. The the one that I didn't uh let's see, what Roland Pick, right? But yeah, then there one. was uh, uh I, one that I didn't ever notice was Furman Vox. Furman is they make like utility right. rack mount utility yeah, shit. Yeah, like yeah, like power conditioners and stuff. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so we we had our own like obviously off the top we kind of rattle off some of them but we had uh our own little like you know litany of names what was like hondo well you had hondo 5150 hondo whammy i had what is it line six telecaster like <laughs> you do sound like a, you do sound like a cyborg yeah 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 i feel like we need to have like a Court first act. <laughs> yeah, we need, we need to have like a like a cyborg pirate name generator. Yeah, well, I mean, Line Six alone, the company alone has tons of them. Helix, Spider, you know, yeah. fucking all this bullshit. Anyway, right. so uh, obvi- obviously, I like this movie. This is nostalgic for me. Um, this is right in there with that whole camp of like dark eighties action movies that me and my brothers used to just get, suck up as many as them as we could find, you know? Yeah. Um, let me, let me front load this a little bit more tenderly because, you know, John and I, we've kind of indicated maybe our feelings about this. And I remember seeing this movie cause I distinctly remember Fender, uh, that guy as being yeah. a, a villain. He's a very distinct villain. Yeah. Uh, I had not seen it probably in like 20 years if I had, um, this is definitely the type of movie, though, that when you're a kid, when you're like a young, young boy in the 80s and 90s. Oh, yeah. Just gobble this up. Like, totally. I get it. Absolutely. No no question. So, anyways, that's all I've got to add before we go into uh, the rest of the show. What do you have, guys? Anything else? For we? I mean, I'll say I'll say I'd never seen this. Um, I'd always seen the VHS box yeah, and assumed that it was like another movie kind of like Terminator because yeah. it's called Cyborg, which I'll get into in a little bit. Like yeah, I will on, too. <laughs> my on, on just the title alone. Um, but yeah, I mean that's the only thing that I ever thought. I was like, okay, Jean-Claude Van Damme's in a movie called Cyborg. It's probably like the Terminator. That's that's all I'm going to assume, and I and I never saw it. I never saw it as a kid. So let me just throw this out there, because I read somewhere that Cyborg was the second name after it was recut. Albert Pion's first name for it. Now, once I say his name, just give me your knee jerk reaction of what you think this movie was. Okay, just think about the cover because the post poster art was probably still the same. 
the movie was called Slinger. Right. Right. Which I, I, I read that. And would you, so, would you, what, 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 what comes to mind with the name Slinger? I mean, if we're doing it like almost like a Rorschach test or something, the first thing that I think of is the movie Swingers. Okay, interesting. Like I would, it, it, it's a, it sounds like a movie like that. Yeah, but you know the poster art. So Swingers, yeah, you're right, post-apocalyptic right. Swingers. <laughs> it's kind of yeah. weird. So if if I've seen the poster art and it says Slinger, I still see it as being yeah, like an action movie. Right. You might uh, what would come to mind mind would maybe be more Australian because I know like the Mad Max lore they throw the word slinger slanger whatever yeah. around. Also, I might think some kind of fucking post-apocalyptic RoboCop 2 scenario where there's some future drug that everybody's all about yeah. or something. Yeah. I buy both that and like yeah, I definitely like yeah, I I I'm, I'm eager to get into that crucial development on this film. Sure. When we get to it. But anyways, is that it? Do we got anything else? Let's move on. I'm preparing to agree to disagree a lot. Yes. Fantastic. So with that being said, let's move into the good, the bad, and the questionable. Let it go. To Atlanta. To cure the plague with the information that she's carrying. I want to own it. Own the cure? I'd be a god. And the misery could be stopped. I like the misery. The world could be changed. I like this world. Go to hell. Been there. Starting with the good. Uh, go ahead, Brandon. This is your movie. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, Fender's opening monologue. <laughs> Love it. Sets the scene for um, a very dreadful existence that we're going to see. Thumbs uh, up. All the way uh, on thumb, that one. Thumbs up. And I will say that. Yeah, go on. That, I, I agree that that monologue is fantastic. Yeah, and unfortunately, completely misled me. Uh, I I like the basic score. It has like a fucking pirate esque thing going on, but it has a kind of feeling of menace to it. It's pretty similar throughout the movie, um, but I think that that drives a little bit of the. Dread and terror for me. Maybe it's a nostalgia thing, but I think it's yeah. cool. Um, I like the costumes. All the costumes are actually holdovers from Masters of the Universe Part 2. Um, no. Okay, okay. You might want to retcon this in any way for the trivia. So, whatever. Yeah, I'll just, I mean, I'll sidestep it. Yeah. Anyway, I do like the costumes. I think that they do a good job just showing that everyone has like this kind of futuristic style. It's almost like rock and roll, heavy metal, the animation style, but yeah. they're all decidedly grimy and dirty looking. Um, I think that was cool. I've always appreciated that. Uh, I think Vincent Klein makes a, a pretty good post-apocalypse villain. Like he's um, a fucking weird nihilistic creep he's got a scary weird voice he looks intimidating imposing um yeah all, all of his scenes all of 
Vincent Klein, Fender tremolos scenes, just like it for me instill some kind of terror. It's like every time you see him when he's in that village and he jams a pole into someone's fucking mouth, it's like, ugh, that's gross. Um, every time that he's seen in the movie, he's doing something horrific to somebody. And I appreciated the, for the amount of drama that is um, redacted from the movie, I appreciate like the really brutal and easy to follow flashback scenes. Like when you finally see the full realization of why uh, Gibson Rick Rickenbacker's out for blood or whatever, it's because these family that he's tried to kind of protect has been murdered. I don't know the whole the whole well with the barbed wire through the hands thing was always uh, pretty good to me. So that's it. That's all I got. John, John's John's like ready to burst. I love it. Uh, yeah. Okay. So, uh, I mean, well, there you go. There's my still, there's my top talking points for good. We're still in the good, John. So you can't. Yeah. Right. So let me let me follow it up because I am in agreement with you on a lot of those points. Let me say that much. I'm in disagreement with you on some of them. Again, we both had give it our tacit agreement that that opening monologue, sick, really sets it up. I'll even say that opening uh, shot into the city yeah. is pretty gnarly. It shows yeah. that crucified woman. Like, there's a really cool set design going on there. It looks like, you know, wow, this is like real, this is a, a real bacchanalia of, uh, of a dystopia. And, uh, you know, so it really sets up for you know the kind of despair that you're going to get led into for this movie in this world so i do like that i i I think the set design overall it's a little patchy it's it seems like a lot of it was focused on those opening shots and then you know there's some here and there but it kind of like i understand due to budgetary reasons they kind of um got lazy as it went on like there's extended shots where they're just like in the water, like and clearly in North Carolina or whatever, like in the marshes or whatever. Um, uh, I think that overall there's some really cool camera work going on. Like some of the fight sequence shots are great. There's some really creative ways of showing how like, you know, especially when they're in that like concrete structure or that building that's been blasted out and they're fighting like those masked villains and they're just getting tossed left and right. And it shows, you know, like the, you know, camera shot from below. And but there's a lot of really cool stuff going on there. I like that. Um, we already kind of thought about like Fender Tremolo is legit, like a wild looking villain, like definitely of the bunch. He's the coolest looking and very distinctive. So definitely like that a lot. I like him as a villain. Um, I love that whole sequence where they're in the underground sewer system. And then you have the, uh, the classic time honored Jean-Claude Van Damme split maneuver above the guy where he, you know, before he plunges onto him. And, and, and that guy, if I'm not, if I'm not mistaken, that guy, his, his name is Marshall Strat in this movie. <laughs> the, the guy that he fucking head splits. Yeah. Marshall Strat, come on. <laughs> yeah. Also, there's a part where um, towards the end, 
uh, where there's the big like third act fight sequences where they're like in the wreckage or whatever. It looks yeah. like it might be like a like an old like a um, tow yard or something. There's a guy that is on fire and Gibson Rickenbacker still kicks him. He's like the guy is running away and is engulfed in flames. He just like fucking like, you know, jump kicks him right in the back. And I'm like, that's pretty sick. Yeah, that was fucking awesome. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, yeah. So those are some of my goods there. Uh, I really do. I wanted to say I really do enjoy the sequence where they crucify uh, Gibson. That's yeah. very, very cool. Very, there's some pretty high drama going on there. And he's, you know, you know, and there's a little bit of an allegory there clearly with him being martyred or whatever. He's like the savior. And they kind of like talk about that at the end of the movie. They, they return to this idea that maybe he's the savior. Maybe, you know, they're looking for a cure, but maybe he's, yeah. he's the cure. Right. Well, anyways, but there's uh, that whole thing. And I want to mention that I, I just want to kind of get a little idea of what you guys think, but of all of those big uh, action guys of, of the time, let's see who would be Schwarzenegger, Stallone, JCBD, Seagal. I think I think Lundgren is probably like a close fifth, maybe Um, Chuck Norris, Chuck Norris, big time for sure. I think of all of those guys, slight of Stallone's um, portrayal of John Rambo in the in the first in First Blood. I think that Van Damme is the one that's willing to show the most drama and emotion. Like if you think about his scene in Bloodsport where Chung Lee hits him with the blinding powder. And he's just freaking yeah. out and all of this. It's the same in this movie. I mean, there's not a lot of scenes of drama, but when he's crucified and he's uh, kind of going back through his memory banks and that gives him the strength, I guess, to, you know, save himself or whatever. He throws in a lot more drama than any Schwarzenegger movie I can think of. Um well, he yeah. also has to overcompensate for the fact that he can't deliver a fucking line to save his life. Sure, yeah. <laughs> but, but yeah, uh, right. I think that that, <laughs> I think that if you were to stick, you know, one of the other big four action guys in that scene particularly, it wouldn't have been as bleak, I guess. Yeah, I could see it being pulled off by Stallone for sure. Yeah, so I, I could see Stallone. I just the other guys of of this era, it was all like tough guy all the time, you know. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, anyway. John, what do you got to say? Can't wait. Well, I'll, I'll list off my goods, no problem. It's a it's a cool story, undeniably cool story in my opinion. Um, good costumes mentioned already, but I like the costumes. Um, Fender, the character of Fender is phenomenal. It's undeniable. Um, the set design, I concur. I, I like the set designs, especially because it's a low budget film. I mean, like it's, it's not the greatest set design, but like a half a million dollar budget. I mean, that disappears like that. I think they did a pretty damn good job with that. Well, they were also lucky because they were using what was the, a set design from a previous movie. So they were able to salvage that much of the budget, you know. Got it. I think I missed uh, – if somebody said that earlier, I might have missed that. 
Yeah, I mean, we kind of he kind of mentioned it with the whole um, Masters of the Universe thing, which we'll get into later. So, gotcha. Yeah. Okay, well, fine. Fuck them then. That, that was no <laughs> good. Uh, uh, but yeah, I, I like the set design. Um, two two mentions of just some scenes that I really really liked and and couldn't do without. Honestly, um, <laughs> there's a part where she like where that that whatever that lady's name is. Uh, what the cyborg? Like, no, no, not not her. Um, Nady, Nady is the girl the that's palling around with him for most of the movie. Yeah, yeah, her. Uh, there's a part where she punches a guy and he like falls. <laughs> He falls oh, like, yeah. and like the way it's edited, she's like, she's like, son of a bitch. And she punches him and he falls. And, and it's, it's like a like, horrific scream. Sounds like dude, my, I, my baby. I rewound that part like 20 times and was just dying <laughs> yeah, laughing. Yeah, the yeah. way that like the, the, the shot is like the camera's looking up from the bottom, yeah. you know, and you just kind of like, it's almost like when somebody trust falls, you know, like someone does like a trust fall. And it looks like, yeah, that's good. That scene was incredible. And then finally, another thing I, I liked was, uh, I mean, this is coming from somebody that has a four-year-old daughter. The, the part where the little girls got the barbed wire, like yeah. shredding their hands, yeah. you know, I mean, it it takes someone with a screw loose to even put that in a movie. So I, I appreciate, right? I appreciated the ignorance of that. That was yeah. fucking brutal. Yeah, I, I like I like stuff like that. So yeah, there, there's some good. There's some good I can say here. That's it. Yeah. There's some salvageable moments for sure. Um, so that being said, unless we have anything else, we'll move on to the bad. Anything else? We got maybe we'll circle back. Maybe we'll find something to talk about more. But let's move on to the bad. Sure. Uh, and John, I'm going to leave. Let's just carry on. Well, I'm going to leave it to you. Yeah. Hit me with what, it. What, what are your bads? All right. So the first thing I want to say is this: this movie is fucking terrible. <laughs> um, but <laughs> so first of all, the acting is like it's so bad that it's like. It's like it's like if somebody was having like a worst ever contest. It's like this is the movie that just didn't even show up. <laughs> like they were like they were like, "Eh, I'm going to win this, so I'm just not going to go." Gotcha. Like, um the acting was really 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 fucking bad. Like and that's coming from someone that likes best of the best. You yeah. know? It's like I know that we all like some of these movies that the acting's not great, you know. Oh, they're like, like comparatively, the best of the best has Oscar like nominees in it. Dude, best of the best is Schindler's List compared to this movie. <laughs> wow, best that, of the best, that, is like best of the best is like is like fucking <laughs> one flew over the cuckoo's nest compared to this movie. <laughs> I'm telling you, and best of the best. The acting in that movie is pretty bad. But yeah. Dude, yeah, some of the dialogue in this movie, like, what is that, Nady Lady? This is one that I was just like, I did a what? She goes, well, wait, yeah. no, no, no. The, the, the line was from Gibson where he goes, I didn't make this world. And she goes, yeah, you only live in it. What? <laughs> what the fuck? I mean, <laughs> to me, that was might have been one of the more realistic points of the movie because that is something that some dumbass 
lady that's following you around might say. Um, you only live in it. Get the fuck out the, of here. But the nerve that they took to write that line is really the problem. I know, right? Like, <laughs> fuck you. You know? Um, uh, next thing I'll say is bad. I've only got three, believe it or not. Um, very misleading title because Cyborg leads me to believe, like I said, not only is this should this be a movie about robots. Yes. But it's like there's there's barely anything having to do with this cyborg at all. 100% agree with you. I actually had this in my questionable, but it can also go with the bad where I'm just yeah, like. Yeah, I, I just don't call a movie something if you're going to totally disappoint me that way. Well, you know? the, other, the other strange thing about that is that, you know, okay, we need this cyborg to get this intel from upstairs you know, state New York or New England somewhere to bring back to Atlanta. Well, she has an escort who's a human. I mean, he's just straight up a guy. It's like you're, if you're a cyborg and you have robotic, you know, elements to your body, you would, why not just do the part? Why don't you just do it yourself? Or yeah. I mean, what she's doing, she could have, they could have just sent a fucking total humanoid scout to do. It doesn't require a cyber cybernetic anything. The whole the whole conceit of the cyborg in this movie, I had so many questions about and didn't understand why. Well, I understood that it was clearly. I feel like this was a device to capture the attention of people that were into things of this nature at the time. All right, you're riding off the heels of movies like RoboCop and Terminator, and like, okay, well, let's have a movie that is somehow kind of tangentially related to a humanoid being and it's not even really <laughs> she, she appears just, so little like, in this movie the, that the idea that they, they, they actually named the movie cyborg but it's like it really plays such a insignificant part of the movie and, and this is where and this is where it comes in i feel like when we're talking about slinger where this is an, an example of again, an auteur or director's vision being completely hacked up by a, a studio or a production company to fit, like get shoehorned into a marketing scheme right. totally. that they think will sell, you know, more tickets because yeah, like it should have, the focus should have been on Gibson Rickenbacker as a character and his role, as opposed to this cyborg that has virtually no role in the movie. Yeah. That would be so. like calling Mad Max fucking um I I, I don't guzzoline or something. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like yeah. Like some sort of tertiary character. Like she's not even like a second string character. She's like a tertiary character. And like she didn't need to be a cyborg. No, right. that, that that part has has uh there was virtually there was virtually no technology needed to retain this information that supposedly <laughs> right precisely like, the movie could have been called scratch pad uh, the right. mess could have been the messenger a uh, postman another yeah, shitty exactly. 
Kevin Costner. We got to deliver this floppy disk. Yeah, floppy. <laughs> the government. Yeah, we're gonna the movie floppy disks. Floppy disk. <laughs> hey, we've got this. We've got this Intel stored on this this floppy disk, the the flimsy kind that you could barely even put in the fucking drive. Uh, yeah. Let's make yeah. sure we protect this very very crucial piece of uh, of. Civilization saving information. Yeah. Well, yeah. well, and that's the other thing too. Do they just give it to the cyborg because a cyborg has a, some kind of processing power that they can download, you know, uh, from it or something? I mean, yeah, what? I think that's essentially the idea. Is <laughs> well, it's going to be safer somehow. Right, but this cyborg has no other defense mechanism at all, at right. all. Talk no. about talk about using a very very revolutionary futuristic piece of equipment for virtually no purpose. <laughs> no like, purpose. <laughs> like what the fuck? This this <laughs> thing could be fucking working in factories and <laughs> like, right. Uh, and which brings me to like um, uh, more questions that I have that I can't wait to get into to talk about that. So, but yeah, so that was definitely like in my bag questionable. Like the idea of the cyborg, the the character of the cyborg. Uh, yeah. yeah. Um, you said you had a third point, John. I've got one more, and it's it, this is a big one. Um, this <laughs> this is the one where I was about to burst. Did you? And maybe I heard you wrong. I mean, I do have hearing loss, so you know. I think John's going to say one that I'm about to say. Yeah, so, go ahead. Did you did you seriously say that those flashbacks were easy to follow? <laughs> those flashbacks were terrible. Are you some yeah. type of are you some type of, of advanced advanced uh uh are you a uh, cyborg comprehension guy? Like, are you, are you like a special like cyborg in yourself that can like easily put together these flashback scenes? What What's hard to follow about them? I don't get it. I don't think they're hard to follow. I just think they just interjected them unnecessarily over and over and over. It's like, yeah, we get the fucking point. All right. Like he lost his bit. Yeah. He, he <laughs> they certainly didn't have to put it in again and again. Yeah. But they're just it, like, it, it's all filler for me. I'm the kind of person that's like, okay, yeah. A story in an action movie by and large is secondary to the action. I need yeah. just enough story to push it along. Okay. I get it. Yeah. This dude has an ulterior vendetta against this pirate gang because of past actions or whatever. And I think that, you know, okay. Yeah. They, they slightly changed their costumery. He's got like long hair and Fender doesn't have his cool dreads yet or anything. Okay. I get it. This is from another time and I can infer that it's in the past since he's (laughs) reflecting on it while he's doing a shitty job, sharpening his knife. Um, (laughs) Yeah. He's like sharpening it. It along the direct edge of the knife. He's not actually like sharpening the blade. (laughs) They showed that shot of him sharpening the knife so many times that that probably amounted to about 15 minutes of footage. Yeah. Like not literally, but a ridiculous amount of time showing him sharpening that knife. But um, kind of going along with the, the flashback scenes in general, I just thought that all of the scene jumping was just bad. Like the, the, the editing in this movie, like I said, like it's like the one thing that Jean-Claude Van Damme is actually worse at than acting. Like 
the editing in this movie was so obnoxious and terrible that it just it's hard to it's it's hard to offend somebody that already knows they're about to watch a bad movie. Yeah, I I concur with John also on that point. There's some some egregious inconsistencies with the editing. Yeah. So that's it. I, it's probably not as bad as you guys thought it would be, but I think the three things that were bad about this are three of the most important things that could possibly be critical to a movie, which is the acting, the <laughs> editing, and the title. <laughs> <laughs> so if you got all three of those things fucked up, then this is the worst movie ever made. Oh, Brandon. Brandon, oh no, Brandon. What? Oh no, I'm reading my notes. I'm not. I'm oh, not okay. I'm, I'm not. Did you look dejected? I was like, oh no. <laughs> no. Uh, well, we, we we've sufficiently roasted this enough. Let's let you take the take take it from here. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I don't. Next I, headline: Brandon uh, Brandon resigns from Netflix podcast. Middle middle of episode. I, I, I don't want you to get me crosswise. I don't okay. disagree with, you know, shit acting and a misleading title. It's just those things in this type of movie, like I said, they're sort of secondary to push sure. along just dystopian sure. fucking killing and action and yeah, all this yeah, kind yeah. of shit. I don't totally. really care about that for this movie, you yeah. know, um, nor it doesn't do detract I, from your enjoyment of the movie, which in, for a lot of movies that I like too, it's the same thing. It's like this is all like a big pile of horse shit, but it's a good time for me. Yeah, it's, yes, a great, it's a great time. I, let me just clarify. Let me just clarify. I'm with you on that, Brandon. Like when I say I'm ready to watch a bad movie, I'm ready to watch a bad movie. I love no. bad movies. Yeah, this movie is like. Like I said, it's like the bad movie that didn't even show up for the bad movie contest. Well, here's my yeah, thing. Here's my thing about this movie, and it might even make it better. If you were to see this, you know, we're, let's say we're all in a band and we're playing a gig at a fucking bar that has a TV on and it's muted, but you, you know, you can watch a movie. If you watch this in mute, it's excellent. There's it's like yeah. the pacing of the combat scenes, the real brutal scenes. You know, there's enough going on to keep your interest and stuff. And when there's not action, there's like cool costumery or whatever. Um, enough to keep you curious enough to keep watching. Um, maybe this should have been a silent film. I don't know. Um, <laughs> I guess my point is, is that take all of those things that a lot of people care about in movies aside, because I don't think a lot of those things like good stories, maybe stories, but good acting and things really exist in the realm of movies we talk about a lot of times. Cult and B movies often have really shit acting, in my opinion. Right. And what I wanted to say is like at least like this movie, because there is a difference for me where there's bad movies that genuinely make me angry because yeah. they're bad and they're offensive to me. And then there's bad movies that are like this that there's a joy to them. Right. There's a fun and a joy to them that like is inescapable. Like, let me give you an example of like recently, a bad movie that I watched that actually made me angry. Have you guys watched Infinity Pool, the new Okay, it's uh, it's uh, I don't even know what it is. Okay, anyways, fuck it's Brandon fucking uh Cronenberg's new movie. Oh, anyways, so Charlotte and I watched it, and I'm like, this movie's a piece of shit, and like makes me angry. Mm -hmm. Like this movie sucks, 
And it also like made me angry thinking about the fact that it's one of these newer horror movies that is being critically lauded. And like, there's people that I know like, Oh, it's a good movie. And I was like, no, it's not fuck off. It sucks. You know? So that's the difference. Like, this is like, I will rewatch cyborg. Yeah, I I will watch it right now. (laughs) Let me let me let me also clarify. This movie did not make me angry the way certain bad movies do. I I knew what I was getting into, and like this coming from someone that likes Kickboxer Two. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So like I put this in the same realm as Kickboxer Two as far as like bad acting, questionable editing. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. I'm. I think maybe a, a. more reasonable way to put it is that this just this movie just crossed the threshold for me as far as what I consider to be like charmingly bad acting. Hmm. It didn't like, cross it, the threshold for me, but yeah, it crossed the thre- the threshold into where I'm just like, no, this is just bad. Yeah, it's it's interesting that you focus so much on that, and maybe I don't because I've watched this since I was like eight or yeah. something, but. I don't even think about the acting. Like I don't even, I watch this movie. I don't even think about what they're talking about or saying. Um, I mostly, when it comes to the acting, just focus in on the craziness of Fender Tremolo, you know? Well, yeah. And we've had that thought like numerous times with this, where we're talking about our relationship to the movie changes our attitude and and perception of it. Clearly where we're like, we have a more, uh, rose-colored glasses perception of a movie that we have uh, some sort of nostalgic relationship with. Uh, pause right there. Sorry. I got to get my charger for my computer. Oh, okay. Discuss amongst yourselves. Yeah. And maybe I'll keep it in. Yeah. But I'll be right back. Okay. Yeah. I mean, with this kind of movie, it's like we talked about um, any of those, any of these big action films from the 80s, you know. Uh, yeah. Cobra. Um, uh, above the law, Steven Seagal, um, Commando. You know, I love all, all three of those movies, but I'm not going to be writing home about fucking Oscar award winning dialogue or acting or anything. See, I know? think that's that's an important thing for me to distinguish, though, because like I agree with you. That like the acting is not the focus with this movie and it's not the focus with, you know, a movie like Commando or Cobra. But at the same time, like something made me notice how bad the oh, acting is. Yeah. If it gives like, you pause and takes you out of the out of the universe, then it's an issue uh, subjectively, but it's an issue. Right. I get it. Exactly. Exactly. It's 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 not that. It's not that I'm watching this movie with expectations of good acting, but when the acting is, like I said, it just crossed a threshold for me in terms of like what is acceptably bad in this genre. Right. Yeah. yeah the the shit that burns me up that that takes me out of it is like um, mid mid to late era Tarantino films. You know, Reservoir Dogs, Pulp Fiction, the early stuff, he's require he's relying on the characters and the dialogue being witty because he doesn't have the budget for the big shit action or whatever. But then when he had a budget, you know, I mean the ones that come to mind immediately is like Death Proof. All of these fucking characters, they're snappy, witty, just 
over-the-top charm. I hate that shit. I focus I, on that way more than what's going on, and it pisses me off. Um, dude, that's that's interesting that you bring that up because I agree with you. And like I have a very weird relationship with Tarantino because it's like it's like he's done things that I think are just absolutely genius. And at the same time, like he's pissed me off to the point where I'm like seeing red yeah. at his pretentious fucking bullshit. Right. So it's like yeah, I mean, like, I don't know. I'm, I'm a, I, I don't I'm know a Tarantino fanboy, so yeah, it's different strokes. Obviously, I mean, I, I, cle- I, clearly, I'm full of shit because every like, I would say that your average person would love Tarantino's catalog. You know, all the Kill Bill movies. I remember when those were just fucking. You couldn't you couldn't rent one even after they were out of the theaters. You know, because they were just. It was so Two hot. Of my favorite movies, right? Wow. I, and, I'm, I, I would consider myself a Tarantino fanboy for sure. I'm just saying, like, there's things that he's that uh, there's things about it, like the the thing you mentioned about Death Proof, where it's yeah. just like, I mean, even your best friend sometimes you just want to be like, fuck you, yeah, <laughs> get the well, fuck out of my house, right? Charlotte always brings it up. The the thing that like really agitates her with Tarantino is she can just hear his voice being like projected too much through the characters. Uh, And that really like grinds her down. Right. (laughs) It's like a carbon copy of me that I'm sticking into all of my characters that I'm writing. And and everybody's on the fucking wagon. Everybody's so into it. They're just like huffing his farts so bad that, yeah, I'm going to go with this because this is like this stylish, kitschy shit. I don't like that. I don't like it at all. Yeah, dude. Sometimes, sometimes the dialogue in his characters is just him talking, and it's just like, dude, this guy. Well, so is the, the worst ego ever. Right. So with a movie like this, where there's shit acting and really not a whole bunch of moving dialogue points, you could probably see from my fucking lambasting of later Tarantino films that all of that is sort of secondary with certain types of movies for me. Yeah. You know? So anyway, on to my well, bat. Go ahead. I was going to say, if you love a lot of screams and args and ah, you yeah. get that a plenty in here. Oh my God. So my first, my first bad <laughs> for this movie, mine are really specific. Um, the standing flexing scream offs, you know, yeah. it's like I'm watching live action Dragon Ball Z or something. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's that's a big no for me. Um, <laughs> fucking, we've already mentioned it, but Gibson's knife sharpening in that scene. Like even when I was a kid, trying to trying to make sense of why would you sharpen one edge of the knife forward? Okay, you're taking meat off, and then hone the backside of the other side of it that's dull. It's like you would do that kind of shit with maybe like a sushi knife where you want one side sharp. You don't even touch the other side. But it's just like going back and forth like it's a paintbrush. Shit pisses me off. Like refining an edge takes concentration and focus and, you know, repetitious um, focus essentially. Yeah. He's just fucking like slobbering <laughs> all over this shit. Maybe, maybe it was intentional. Maybe the whole point is that he's so distracted by his flashback that he's really not, he's really not paying attention. Well, you know, and it could be this is pretty deep, but 
it could be that his hatred for Fender Tremolo is so deep. You ever heard that? You ever heard that saying a dull knife is is a dangerous tool? Maybe yeah. he just wants a fucking knife. It's like a hammer so that when he stabs him with it, it's just all the fucking more brutal. Maybe. But I think that's giving him way too much credit because if that was the case, he'd just bang it on some concrete for a while. Anyway, <laughs> um, the double, triple cam fight re- instant replay shit that Van Dam does in his editing work you know, it is indicative to his style because it's in a lot of his movies of the, this era, of like the next decade of Van Damme films, where it shows him kick and then it shows that same kick from a different angle and then a third shot of that kick from the first angle again, like wham, wham, wham in succession. Um, but, and maybe if this was, you know, the first movie that I saw this in and it didn't happen 10 more times in 10 more films wouldn't bother me, but that shit's just like eating up fucking film for no reason. You know, I get it. He really wants you to see that kick. Yeah. Well, hi, let's showcase the kick here. You know? Um, so there's that. Let's see. I think that the final fight scene between Gibson and Fender, the uh, guitar, uh, uh, battle, um, I thought that was pretty fucking lackluster, you know, like if you were to take that fight in the middle of the movie at the abandoned factory and somehow make that the final act, I thought that would have been a lot stronger, but you know, uh, Fender gets slammed into a meat hook and dies after like screaming and kicking out a window a few times. Uh, pretty lame. And then the rushed conclusion where it's just, okay, cool. Thanks for getting this fucking cyborg that didn't need to be there in the first place back to us with the intel. Um, see you later. They literally go up a stairwell and close like a secret door hatch, and that's it. And then, well, I think the whole time maybe he was the cure. Fuck you. Yeah. You know, oh, it's like big we, raspberries we, on that we one. spent too much runtime on these triple takes of these kicks and screaming and flexing. We just need to nip it in the bud real quick. Cut, cut it off. Be done. That, that was pretty lazy fucking. I don't know. I don't. It makes me curious what Pyun's initial you know, conclusion to the movie was because if it was edited down and refined from the original content, what we are seeing here in Cyborg, uh, they should have left a little of Pyun's original ending in maybe, you know. Maybe maybe he was trying to do like a Godfather type of ending, you know, like door closes, you know. Well, yeah, they they probably were clearly leaving it open for the possibility of a franchise, which – there is a franchise of this. Yeah. There's several sequels to Cyborg, so I don't I Oh, don't Jesus know. Christ. Yeah. But I also, like, my interest was piqued when I read that there was, like, an extended director's cut that was way more stylized, like you were saying, and way more uh, <clears throat> fleshed out, like, the, the drama and the story a little bit more. I, I genuinely would like to to see that. I, I think for it's sure. been released. Yeah, it said that Pian actually released it um, th- you know, through the through the director, you could get it or something. But you probably find it on YouTube. I don't yeah. know. I mean, just from reading that little blurb that you're talking about, it almost turns me off because it could go a couple of different ways if it's more dramatized. If it leans more into Van Damme's acting, 
it's going to be worse for me probably. Um, and, and, and just, just the word stylish in any descriptor of a movie makes me think graphic novel or something. And I also fucking hate that. Doesn't necessarily turn me off, but I, I understand why it would turn other people off. What I wanted to also ask, because we didn't really talk that much about it, we kind of have touched and danced around it, but how do you feel about the fight sequences in this in general? I may, do you want me to go first? Sure. Uh, I like them. I think that they're pretty good. Um, I Again, I forego a lot of my questionable ped- pedanticness in in favor of just the overall dread of the scene. Like I especially liked when they're leaving the factory uh, or whatever you want to call it, that middle big fight scene and that abandoned building, it's all blown out and they go through the sewer. And then after that, you know, they come out the other side and it's clear that Gibson is fucking cooked. He's like run himself down to the last of his tricks. And he just tells the girl, Nady, just run. You know, I can't do anything more for you. And then the pirates gang up on him. Um, I think that all of the scenes kind of just give me an overall sense of dread because there's a lot of plundering. You know, I mean, obviously pirates, but the the village scene where all the pirates are just fucking massacring people. Um, There's a lot of just real brutish violence in those scenes. And I appreciate that. So when you made that mention of, you know, it being a, a, a layman's water world. I'm going water world fucking sucks as far as like violent scenes compared to this movie. Oh yeah, I agree. There, there, there's definitely way more um, interesting fight sequences in this water world. They're not like, the, like they're not, Disneyland, you know, yeah, to yeah. This. I mean, totally. I mean, I mean, they're not like the like, best choreographed fight sequences, but they're, they're, they're good. They're entertaining. You know? Yeah. I, I thought that they were, um, I mean, there's there's shots where you can clearly see there's no contact made or whatever. Right. But all of the other elements of them make them cool to me. Yeah, I agree. What about we you? didn't really talk about that much. I wanted to kind of circle back to, to that. Uh, do we have anything else before we go into the questions? Uh, well, I want John's take. What do, what do you think about these? I, I can see it in your face. You got something to say about these fight scenes. Oh, no. um, I thought the fight scene, I like the violence. Um, I think just in general, like maybe not even just the fight scenes, but just the violence in this movie in general is good. Yeah. Um, I think that to your point, Brandon, like the the extra enunciated like kick shots. Yeah. In the, in the fight scenes, it's just like, come on, just let me watch you right. fucking kick this guy. You know, like, so I think that definitely takes away from the fight scenes. It makes them all feel slower because you're watching this one scene, one, 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 with one guy, you know. I often right, have exactly. a problem. I often have, I often have a problem with these movies where there's this big gang beat em up on one guy. I often watch the characters who are not the main focus to see what they're doing because in a real group fight, you think these fucking marauders would run up and just stand there and wait their turn to get their ass kicked. You know, they would all be stabbing this fucking guy. Right. Like there's some gentleman's agreement. There's like, (laughs) you know, like there's the, the, the contract. Like 
we need to do this. Yeah, yeah. One at a time. We're gonna we're gonna rape all these women and make this, <laughs> them our basic concubines. We're gonna jam a fucking pole down a m- dude's mouth, but we have a, a unspoken. We're gonna take our turn when we're uh, ganging up on this fight because we don't want to fight dirty guys. You know, <laughs> right? There's too much. There's too much honor at stake here. We don't. We don't actually want to just you know accomplish our objective of killing this guy that's a threat to the very, very purpose that we exist on this earth for. <laughs> right. Yeah. We, this, to, we need to make sure that we are, are having an honorable match, guys. Sure. Yeah. There's there's dirty enough fight. There's a dirty enough shit in this, you know, post-apocalyptic world. We're going to keep our fighting clean. Yeah. Above board. Yeah, you know, there's got to be there's got to be a some knife? I got a knife. You got a pole? I got a fucking pole. Hey, you know. There's got to be some sort of balance. Yeah. So, okay. Hey, they, is that you it? You know what? They respect the rules of the dojo. I get it. It's cool. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Sensei. Yes. All right. <laughs> Moving on. Questions. This is a this is a, a question laden uh, story script here for me. Yeah, I've only got two. Okay. Yeah, I'll I'll kick it off because sure. you kicked off the good, you kicked off the bad. I'm going to kick off the questions. Yeah. Okay, so this is my like general question I have for a lot of these movies, which I love. Like the the dystopian theme, the dystopian just idea story to me, I'm I'm a sucker for it in a lot of ways. So don't get me wrong, but there is one clear flaw, especially with this movie, that I find that doesn't seem to always get explained very well, and and that is I'm always perplexed as to how these writers can explain these complex tech technological developments in a world where massive economic collapse has occurred has rendered any commerce or exchange extremely inefficient and to a primitive state, i.e. the cyborg itself. So you can create this very complex device or being, but nothing else fucking works right. Well, yeah, yeah, a good point (laughs) is this whole movie could have been sidestepped if their commerce was good enough that they could have got the intel from New York to Atlanta via email or yeah, phone the internet, call, the internet, uh, any kind of, you know, thing could have circumvented this entire fucking morass of bullshit with pirates and, and fucking right. slingers and stuff. Just, just wire them the info. I mean, what is it in <laughs> New York that they know that they can't know in Atlanta. And why does it have to come to Atlanta anyway? Right. So that leads me to question like, okay, was the cyborg created before the collapse? Is this a, an artifact of a, of, a, of a more put together society that has been carried over? So we don't have internet, but we have a cyborg yeah, that can carry, totally. to, you know, this, this very, very important, crucial information. So, I never, I never understood that. And again, that's where the whole cyborg conceit just should have just went out the window. Well, like, right. make, you know, make her a soothsayer, sure, or just another scientist or whatever. Like, but she doesn't need to be a fucking android, right? Man. Well, and here's the other thing too: is that <laughs> what is anybody if if this information can only be extrapolated and and useful when it gets to the research center in Atlanta? What is the risk of sending it via document on a ship? 
I mean, no, right. one's, no one's going to know what to do with it anyway. And, and they're like a fucking anybody out there who can bring this information to us. Yeah. Bring it here. So right. it doesn't matter if Fender brought it or not, <laughs> you know? Right. Cause the whole idea is like, they don't want like Fender wants the information because he's like going to make, it's going to make him like invincible or whatever. Right. But like, yeah, like he's not going to be able to do shit with it by himself. He's an idiot. He's, right. he's, He's a mongrel. Yeah. And and they even <laughs> said uh, the cyborg t- told Gibson himself, you know, I'm we're going to lead. We're baiting him to Atlanta to destroy him. We can destroy him yeah. there. You can't or no one else can for whatever reason. But uh, he likes the, he likes the death, though. Guys. Right. Yeah. He, likes, he likes the death. I so I he's know. got the motivation. Right. So yeah. he's got the motivation to get there. Then he's going to give them the, what it, I don't know. Okay. This kind of <laughs> runs off of your question. What does he mean by he wants the cure so he can control it? What he's going to extract the info from the Android and then go, well, no, I'm holding, I'm holding it ransom. You know, I mean, what is he going to do with it? If the cure is out there, he's going to what they're going to synthesize it into like a a vaccine one. And then he's going to crush it up so that no one can have it. What is he planning on doing with it to in, in, you know, instill this black plague on the rest of the world? I don't get that. I mean, isn't he isn't he just trying to keep it from happening? Isn't that like the if that were the case, why take the Android to Atlanta? Just destroy it. Where, it's, the, where it stands yeah, in New York. Yeah. Okay. So that was my first question. Uh, something about this movie, the way it's shot. I mean, there, there, I don't know how I feel. It's like it's got a low budget feel to it, but almost in like a sci-fi channel exclusive. Yeah, definitely. It's this weird kind of it's not quite shot on video, but it's not quite 35 millimeter. It's somewhere in this weird in between. So it's like, there's part of me that's like, kind of like, hmm, I like this. It makes me feel a certain way. But there's part of me that's like, also, just this looks kind of shitty. So I don't know. I'm kind of stuck in between on that one. This is where I diverge from you also, because you mentioned that you like this. Also, I don't know if I like this dungeon synth soundtrack that just keeps getting irritatingly placed. Wait a minute. Over and over. Are we in questionable or are we in bad? Because you're, this is just straight up shitting on. No, no, no. Because like. No, because I think I like it, but I'm not sure. <laughs> okay. So it's it. kind of in the middle for me. I get it. You know what, so that, Adam? That 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 answer was almost as lazy as half of the things we're talking about with this movie. <laughs> I just got to say. Brandon, I don't think you should accept that. Uh, <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, those are three of mine off the top. Go ahead. Somebody else. Take okay. It there. Uh, John, you said you only have two. I have a bunch of them but they're kind of Why rapid you fire because i'll just i'll just cap it off with my ridiculous questions at uh, the end okay here we go so was it sheer luck or was it just ultimate fucking skill with knife throwing that that fucking blind throw of a knife at nady the first time we see her in the movie just knocks her out must got hit in the face of the handle and it knocks her out all night it doesn't <laughs> fucking plunge into her neck and kill her you know, and beside, and and while you're thinking about that, think about this. That fucking bitch gets knocked out a bunch in this movie. Does. Does she just have like a super easy like glass jaw knockout button or something? Yeah. All right. You know. Um, so there's that. Uh, 
how does Fender's lackey just know that he wants his cape put on him? In the beginning of the movie, after he like cuts off Willie, the fucking original slinger's head and all this stuff, he does this like arm shake thing. And then without any words, Crony comes up and throws like a velvety cape on, on Fender. You know, well, they've clearly practiced this. That's where, that's before. my question: is do they have these pirate <laughs> meetings? You know, <laughs> in between rapes and plunders and marauding. Like, okay, when I do this with my shoulders, that means this. If I snap with my left hand, that means this. But my right, you know, I don't know. I, I wonder often in these kinds of uh, films, you know, how do they just know this? Um, is Gibson religious? Did you notice in the? Knife sharpening, the fucking knife smoothing <laughs> scene, <laughs> flashback scene. There's like a little picture of Christ in the corner. It looks like it's set up in his little camp, his makeshift camp. I don't know if you guys I noticed that. that. Uh, maybe, it's, maybe it's some type of uh, foreshadowing for for the crucifixion scene. There, there are there are some yeah there are a few little like foreshadowing elements. So is, like is this like? Was there, if we watch the deeper cut, is this like a Lars von Trier thing where there's just layer upon layer of theology, you know, threaded through the movie, perhaps? Certainly would have made it more interesting to a certain extent, but who knows? Agree to disagree. Um, (laughs) Okay. How about this? How did Gibson and Nady beat Fender's boat on foot? You know? The whole thing, they get a boat, we're going to Atlanta, and the the fucking slinger and this knockout babe is, they're on foot the whole time. And they get there yeah. relatively at the same, they're watching him with binocs as he's cruising along in his boat. How is that even fucking possible? If that's the case, why didn't Fender just walk there? It would have been faster. <laughs> why didn't you walk there? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, what is the data? I mean, it goes back to what your question was, Adam. What is the the data that Pearl, the cyborg, is obtaining in New York that's so crucial, it's only in New York, that it needs to then travel to Atlanta? I mean, they, they just say that she has information that can, you know, unlock the, this mystery for a cure. Uh, never explained I don't know who, who fucking knows. Maybe she found the green M and M in the in the bag before it was, you know, there or something. Um, what is the gun that Gibson and Fender have? It looks cool. I like it. It looks like a Gatling like a gun Gatling. or something. But yeah. you see that one scene in the factory or whatever. In the first time he escapes all the fucking pirates, he throws it. Looks like an air tank into it just away and he pulls another one out and puts it on, but scenes cut too quick to see what he's doing. I, it, is it, is it an air driven like bolt gun? Is that thing full of fucking BBs? I don't know what that, a tank is going to do for a gun that ostensibly is of, of, you know, regular lead shooting firearm. Um, yeah, Nady gets out and knocked out a lot. Um, why doesn't anyone just try and shoot Fender? Or, you know? Yeah. At any time. I mean, there are people out there with guns. Sure, the world's collapsed, but there's plenty of weaponry. Why doesn't any of these fucking people in this village or anything just shoot the fucking guy? You know? Well, 
but that brings me to talk about what you were just saying with like the Gatling gun, as far as it being modified to be some other device. Also, you have to think that in this sort of world, there would be a premium on ammo. Okay, but wouldn't you, you make know? it a priority to save up your fucking little lead pellets or whatever it is you use for, for commerce to buy a fucking machine gun to kill this marauding pirate? Yeah, right. You would think. Anyway, uh, and to that point, why doesn't Fender just kill Gibson? I mean, he crucifies him. Does he expect him to just die, die slowly? He's been terrorizing this guy for who knows how many years, you know? At no point is he making moves to just kill the guy until the final act. And even that's questionable. Um, I want... I wondered that myself with the crucifixion. I was like, well, you know, clearly he's a sadist. So maybe this is, he just wants to make Gibson die slowly, but also that doesn't make any sense. Just, right. yeah, just cut his head off like he did with the other guy. Yeah. So that kind of, that kind of drives me to my next question is Fender just really, really insecure. I mean, he travels with an entourage when he's talking, when they're walking through the forest about what's to expect in Atlanta, she go, you know, you're going to try and destroy me and you're going to fail. And the cyborg's like, no, we would never try that. We know how strong you are. And he goes, don't t- look down on me. <laughs> he gets all pissy. And then he storms off. I mean, he's, he's, he's holding all of the cards here. You know, he's leading this mirage, this fucking mob of savages, and, and he gets picked on by a cyborg, and it hurts his feelings, so he storms off. When, uh, when, he, when, that, when he said, don't look down on me, that was a real, like, what <laughs> moment for me. Like, I was like, that sounds like something from, like, fucking Dawson's Creek or something. Right, but, but how does that – that's not even looking down. That's more like patronizing or something. Yeah, you would say something more like, don't question me. Or, right. You know. <laughs> don't look down on me. I mean, yeah. maybe he's just a bitch. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, go ahead. He is a child. He's a child fucker. So that's true. That, <laughs> that is true. Haley. Haley was but a child. After he barbed wired her hands off, he probably made her bleed in other ways, too. You know what I'm saying? Um, <laughs> so the arrow trajectory, first of all, where did Van Dam get a fucking bow and arrow? Secondly, if you see it from the point in which he's shooting and then the arrow is almost straight up at Fender's feet, doesn't make Would sense. Never happened that way. That's another, that's another scene where I'm just like right there. You could have just killed him. Right. But you, but you wanted to send him a, a message? Yeah, clearly he's a good enough shot to land it right at his feet. He yeah. could have just landed it right in his head. Could have went right in his throat. Yeah, exactly. Um, why doesn't Fender ever wash his fucking disgusting glasses? <laughs> ever? That's actually part of the flashback where you know that's in the past because his glasses are clean when he's looking in on the family that's on the floor or whatever, the house. Um, and then... Okay, finally, the back window kick out. Let me set the stage for you. The end, the final act, uh, can't remember why, but Gibson is in the back seat of a car. It's like kicked into a fucking sedan or something. And uh, he sees the girls and he's, you know, getting the second shot of hatred and, and um, fury to, to go after Fender again, even though he's trying to succumb to his injuries at this point. He looks out the window. He sees Fender through the windshield. 
or through the side window, he kicks through the window. We know this because it shows it from another shot, window blowing out, kicks him in the back. Then it shows his point of view again, and the window's intact again. Well, there you go with that superb editing. Superb editing and inconsistencies. I don't, I don't get it. But, uh, yeah, a little pedantic, but um, there's clearly problems with this film. A person who loves this film will point this shit out. Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't mean I don't like it. And to that, John. Well, right. I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you. This movie's got a few problems, but um, let's go into it. So first thing I want to say is, uh, (laughs) so there's a scene where one of like the bad guys with a gun takes this little kid's bouncy ball and steals it from him. He's like, got your ball. (laughs) (laughs) And Jean-Claude Van Damme, being the the action hero that he is, truly saves the day and retrieves this ball back. And what looks like hits the guy with the ball, which which causes him to be knocked on, knocked to the ground. Yeah, and gives the ball back. Now, as ridiculous as this scene is, the problem with this scene is that really, like. The dire circumstances that are in this fucking dystopian universe, and you're going to zero in on Jean-Claude Van Damme making himself useful by getting a bouncy ball back for a little kid? Oh, yeah. Like, that's how you're going to showcase this guy's heroic presence in this movie, even just for a few minutes? Like, I, I took issue with that. Well, like, I, yeah. <laughs> that, that, that is a scene that straight up would happen in like three ninjas, maybe. Right. And and <laughs> to, to, to that and the, and about everything we shit on about the editing, they, they throw that scene in. But all the while, you see that he is making um, visual connections that that girl in the pirate gang is Haley, the, the young girl who – Clearly, uh, Fender has t- fucking hazed or concubined or whatever and taken as a child. He doesn't put up really much of a fight about that until the very end of the movie. He doesn't fucking even care. He just cares about, you know, killing this dude, I guess, or whatever. But he, yeah, that they focus in on this bouncy ball thing that he's the – um the, the fucking righteous hand of justice for kids and the downtrodden, but doesn't care that this girl has been fucking her whole family was killed and then roped into this marauding gang uh, till the, till it's convenient for him at the end of the film. Yeah. And honestly, like my question is less with like this fictional character and more so with just the person that made the decision to put this scene in the movie. Like, yeah, like what the, that could have been extra shots for the triple kick to someone else's face that they used in that film time, you know? Right. It's like, I mean, that, that scene was just like, I mean, I, I liked it because it was hilarious, but at the same time, I'm like, dude, you've got, little girls having their hands shredded apart by barbed wire. Yeah. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to include a one and a half minute scene with a kid t- getting his bouncy ball taken <laughs> by a, a dude with a gun. 
Like, you fucking kidding me? Um, so the other question I had, well, not really a question, but the skinny dipping scene. So they they are in they're on the beach. They they like you said, Brandon. Somehow they get there really early. They get there right? way faster than by like, boat. Like this is where this is where a ship's gonna dock. Oh, okay. Well, I'm gonna take off my clothes and experience a moment of pure joy. <laughs> In this polluted fucking yeah, even, cesspool. Even though, even though life is literal hell. Yeah. Like, no. No, not even, not even like, not even a, a, a woman that wants you to see her naked is going to get naked in, a, um, in circumstances like this. You know, it makes me wonder, and this is just a larger point of, post-apocalypse movies anyway how does anyone feel comfortable and this movie came out in like the height of the aids epidemic and stuff how does anybody feel comfortable even trying to fuck in such a filthy awful unhospitable environment uh brandon you've been to squats before that's true (laughs) but i've never fucked in them But you. But know other people he, have. Yeah, and, and I'm telling you, like, this is this is a, a very very. This is a very, not good point for what the same reason that Adam's saying is that like. I'm not doubting. I'm doubting that this that this woman would get naked. I'm not doubting what, the scumbags of humanity are capable of doing for pleasure. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I get that. But she's trying to throw herself at Gibson. You know, this is like, well, I need to pay repay you somehow or something. You know, and you go, Why has this come to mind? For you know? yeah, for for me it's more so when you're running for your life and like in this awful situation, you're 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 not gonna all of a sudden get somewhere where you're waiting for your villain to arrive. And be like, well, time to time to time to frolic in the water yeah, with yeah. my titties hanging out. Got some time to kill. Let's get busy. Yeah, right. Right. Um, I I feel like that scene was only put in there to drive the point home that fundamentally Gibson is a very moral person. He's absolutely he's, he's a very ethical person. That he's like, sex? No, no, no. I'm on a mission. I you know like. Which again goes back to the whole this recurring theme that he is a savior, right? He's like the pure Christ-like, you know, warrior that's trying to save civilization here. So. Well, if that's if that was the purpose of this, then similar to what we said earlier about how <laughs> compared to Best of the Best, that's an Oscar film. This this character makes Kyle Reese from the Terminator look like uh like the most the most moral the most moral protagonist that's ever existed in any movie and much better pulled off. Yeah, there's a lot of questions that you gotta wonder, were these things just not answered because of the seemingly rushed editing that it would that happened in the end or I don't know. I mean, yeah. maybe thrown through the lens of a person who's, you know, a French guy coming into, or uh, I don't even know. He's not French. Van Damme is like Dutch or something. He's Belgian. Belgian. Right. He's Belgian. A European coming into this American action scene, trying to re 
shoot this. I don't know. There's a lot of clearly. I mean, this episode, I think, is probably going to be 60 or 70 percent weighted time wise on the questions. Lots of questions. It is. It is. I, I wanted to drop one more in here before we move on. I had a few more, but whatever. Uh, but this one also, maybe you guys can answer it is. Aside from the fact that this is clearly set in a dystopian post-apocalyptic era where all, again, infrastructure has collapsed, everything is on fire, you know, and people are, you know, you know, subjected to marauders and raiders where is there any indication that this was due to a global plague there's no people that are around that are dying from the plague there's only one scene and there's that girl with lesions on her face oh yeah yeah yeah. and they're cutting them off or something and then nady says some quip about the plague and how you know this is why the cyborg has to okay carry out the yeah, there is a quick there is a quick little thing about it. Okay, I'm I must have missed that while I was like down doing my notes because I was like, where I don't. So it's actually one answer. of the more one of the more brutal one of the more brutal scenes in the movie, in my opinion. I must have completely missed it. Whoops. Well, anyways, at least that question's answered. You know, hey, we won one. Ding ding ding. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So we got anything else? Um, That's it for me. <laughs> You know, I, I could go. I could go on, but I'm not. We could keep going, but let's let's move let's on. Move on. Let's move on. Let's move on. Maybe we'll uh, revisit this. No, we won't. Um, so let's. Uh, <laughs> we'll 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 have these discussions off mic. Yeah. You know. Well, next time we go to Danny's, you and me. We'll oh talk yeah. More about. We'll do more of a deep dive into the cyborg. First, there was the collapse of civilization. Anarchy, genocide, starvation. Then when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, we got the plague, the living death, quickly closing its fist over the entire planet. And then we heard the rumors that the last scientists were working on a cure that would end the plague and restore the world. Restore it? Why? I like the death. I like the misery. I like the Okay, moving on to our third act, which is our awards and categories section. Starting with the top with quotes, I think we're all pretty much in agreement. There's like one big quotable quote. Yeah. Do I need to say it or uh, if you, you you probably have yeah, I, I'm my new children's books are actually teaching me how to read, so yeah, okay. go for it. First, there was the collapse of civilization, anarchy, genocide, starvation. Then when it seemed things couldn't get any worse, we got the plague. The living death, quickly closing its fist over the entire planet. Then we heard the rumors that the last scientists were working on a cure that would end the plague and restore the world. Restore it? Why? I like death. I like the misery. I like this world. That's great. There you go. That's great. It's been it's been used by so many hardcore bands. Uh, 
It's just excellent. Absolutely. I mean, it's right up there with shit Lord Humongous would say in The Road Warrior. Um, there is another one, and this is actually the one I wrote down. Um, it's also on IMDb in the quotes, but I wrote this down just because I thought it was pretty uh, evil. Um, Fender, after he kills Willie, the, the cyborg slinger guide, he says, I'll take you to Atlanta and you'll give me the cure. And if you don't, I'll give you the horror show. And he holds up his hand. I just like that he refers to whatever he's going to do as the horror show. <laughs> yeah. It's pretty pretty menacing. Yeah, that was a good one. There actually was another one that was like another uh, Fender Willie uh, uh, back and forth. Yep. Uh, I don't have it pulled up, but it's the one where it was like something like, you know, uh, you know, you go to hell and he goes already been there. Yeah, been there. Yeah, that whole thing. He basically he basically uh abridges the monologue. You know, he's like, We're we're gonna find the cure and save the world. He's like, Why? <laughs> yeah. I like I like I like it the the death. I like the way it is. Right. Which I was gonna say, going back to goods, I actually like that 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 was his stance on things. Yeah. He's just like yeah, man, you know, I'm king shit here. Right. So why would I want it to go back to the way it was? Yeah, so. exactly. Yeah, I think yeah. I think there's elements that make that the story is cool, for sure. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, yeah. John, did you have anything? Or is this a... Uh, this is a... Uh, no. This is it. Okay, the Derek Zoolander Award for the biggest rube in the movie. Uh, I just said the scientists were thinking they're going to save civilization. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, I said Nady because not there's not only one time, but there's several times where she gets them in a big old pickle um, yeah. just by being there. You know, after she crawls out of the sewer or whatever, or uh, somewhere in the many fights, she goes, "Maybe I should have, maybe I should have stayed put or something." Because yeah, yeah. she just keeps, <laughs> she's an idiot. For yeah, sure. She just keeps getting them in fucking trouble throughout the whole movie. Yeah, I felt like Nadie's character overall was also one where I'm just like, do we need her? Right. Like, she's just providing, I don't know. She's just, she's like the shittiest, like, witch's familiar. This, like, you know, like, you know. Which is kind of funny because in the very end of the movie, the Haley, the girl who was, you know, um, raped and taken as prisoner by Fender and his gang, then becomes the star of of the stand yeah yeah right and She's then the and, yeah nady is just gone at that well, point good riddance yeah. terrible sidekick what terrible fucking sidekick. sidekick right i mean um, she's there for the for the beach she's she's, she's there I mean, for the boots she's there for the boots which you really only see like some side boob really right like, yeah, when, when she's frolicking yeah 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 uh okay um did what did you, did you have anything john um, I mean, no. I, I'm I'm gonna say the the sidekick for sure. Yeah. yeah, I think I had the sidekick knocking around there as well. Um, the Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat Award for Best Wardrobe of Makeup. I mean, come on, it's pretty unanimous, right? It's pretty. Fender. It's pretty unanimous. It starts with a Fender. <laughs> it starts with a Fender, but it could end with a Marshall. I really liked Marshall Strat <laughs> as well as like a a, a runner up contender, the guy that gets fucking. Hit you know, brained in the sewer, the guy that's like Norwegian or something. He had that sick fucking, uh, 
you know, poison per, perm hair. hair yeah, he had, he had the Bolton going on. Yeah, for sure. He looked pretty good. Yeah. Uh, the Cosmo Kramer were for most likely to appear in a Seinfeld episode. So basically I had to like conceive of a post-apocalyptic <laughs> Seinfeld yeah, in right. my mind right. and how that would <laughs> play out and who would be in this, uh, you know, this band of misfits would be palling around with the Seinfeld characters. I, I don't know. I, I had a, I had a hell of a time thinking of it. What, what do you guys have? Uh, I just put Nady because yeah. maybe as her character being kind of a fucking klutz, um, she could end up in the Seinfeld universe if they make it out of this plague, uh, you know, and just being a, be a bozo in, in New York with those guys somehow. I mean, yeah, this is a hard sell for this particular type of movie. How do you put this type of just downtrodden, despairing character anywhere near Seinfeld? So, I, yeah, I, I put an 80. Yeah, I mean that's that's a, pr- a pretty good a good one, Brandon. I, I mean Seinfeld is full of just like dumbasses, right? So there you go. Yeah, yeah, I feel like that's that's good enough. The Danny Trejo Award for character most likely to have it a spinoff. I put Pearl, but not as a cyborg. Yeah, Pearl prior cyborg <laughs> surgery that they do to her. Well, <laughs> Or Pearl as a cyborg, but in a different movie. I don't know. Or in a, you know, yeah. like, fine, she's a cyborg. That's cool. Like, she, it looked like a cool cyborg kind of thing. Right. Put it in a different movie, though, not in this one. Totally. Uh, I put Gibson just because either as a TV show spinoff or another movie, you know, I could see uh, clear at the end of the movie, you know, oh, he's the future. So, that leads yeah. itself up to something else, but I could also see a prequel of how he even got to the point of being a person who is essentially hired to escort people out of a city or whatever. Yeah. You know? Yeah. You could, you could capitalize on that character for sure. Right. I mean, he's the most, they, they lead it up to him being the most wholesome and likable character as far as m- morally, you know? Yeah. Okay, body count. I wasn't able to tally it up. Did you get a did you get a tally? No, for me it's kind of undetermined. Um because there's so many shots, quick sh- editing shots of gang people getting killed and uh yeah, no no undeterminable is what I put. It was a sufficient body count. Oh yeah. It, it was it was it, you, you it was more than a little by a lot. You could bet on that by Job. All right, the wiki wormhole. What are some fun facts about this movie? Um, well, first fun fact that I've known for a real long time, Jean-Claude Van Damme accidentally wounded Jackson Rock, Pitney's eye, during a sword fight scene, permanently blinding him in that eye. He took Van Damme to court and eventually won the settlement. Um, and I think I know the scene that they're talking about. It's in that whole factory to... Um, sewer to planes scene. But when I was a kid, I thought it was... I I think it's later, actually. I thought it was hitting the guy in the eye with that nail boot, boot nail thing. But... um, No, I think it's later because that character that he plays doesn't show up until later. I think it's actually during the final kind of showdown sequence in the rain is where it happens. 
Right. Uh, anyways. Let's see. Uh, um, John claude Van Damme re-edited the film, much as he did with Bloodsport, to make the fight scenes more exciting and trim down the drama. Yeah, good, good play. Uh, Van Damme spent two months editing the film. He would do the same on Hard Target '93. So clearly, he likes to be uh, he likes to be behind the helm of his own work. That took yeah. two months. <laughs> Uh, as we had mentioned before, Albert Pien's original cut of Cyborg was much more stylized. It was in black and white, had a rock score and more violence and had all of Jean-Claude Van Damme's dialogue, including extensive narration dubbed by another actor. It was much more dark, violent and cynical. Canon held the test screening of the version for a small audience and they hated it. Only one out of 100 people surveyed like the film due to this albert pion was kicked off the film and van damme convinced producers uh menahem golem and Jorn globus uh to instead let him produce uh with a friend uh sheldon ledich uh produce and edit the film as he'd done yeah. with blood sport yeah which we talked about um, yeah, I'm reading right here. It says originally envisioned the film as a heavy opera without dialogue, right? Shot in granulated black and white. Yeah, <laughs> uh, it originally had a, a rated X rating, but the numerous cuts got it an R, uh, specifically for a good deal of the blood in the village massacre uh, that was toned down and one of the characters' death scenes. You can only imagine it's Marshall Strap with that head split. That's probably pretty brutal, yeah. but. Uh, Okay, so bring us to the Masters of the Universe tidbit. Yeah. Yeah, so um, the film was conceived to the to use the costumes and sets built for Masters of the Universe. Right. Uh, for a Masters of the Universe sequel and a live-action Spider-Man film, Al Pion planned to shoot both projects simultaneously. Canon Films had to cancel deals with Mattel and Marvel because of their financial troubles. They needed to recoup the money spent on both projects. Pion created the film's script under the pseudonym of Kitty Chalmers, <laughs> using two previous scripts, Johnny Guitar and Alex Rain. Some network television channels still give the film's title as Masters of the Universe 2 Cyborg, leading people to think it's a sequel. What a, like, what a, what a fuck show of convolution. <laughs> yeah, no shit. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so there's that. Also, apparently... The uh, the chainmail that Fender wears was also taken from the character Blade from the the theatrical Masters of the Universe movie, the Dolph Lundgren one. Right, that's uh, what they're referring to. Yeah, um, I also find this kind of funny because the other movie that anyone might really recognize uh, Vincent Klein from is his little cameo in Point Break. Um, yeah. where he's one of the surfer bad boys. And, and yeah. in this movie, it says when Fender steals the boat, uh, he takes to Charleston. He declares that he can't swim and hates water. Vincent Klein is a professional surfer. So there you go. Yeah. Anyway. Um, yeah. There's other little tidbits, but fuck it. It's a shitty movie. So let's move on. <laughs> Two tears in a bucket. Motherfuck it. All right. So here we go. We've got to develop an iconography for this movie. We're going to rate it and put it on the midnight clock. Bing, bang, boom. All right. What's our iconography? Go. 
Brandon. Uh, I, I had said out of five shitty, dirty blue blockers. Okay. John? <laughs> I said out of five stolen bouncy balls right in the midst of way more dire circumstances. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, okay. <laughs> uh, let's see. I, I actually didn't think about it. Um, out of five crucified Gibson Rickenbackers. Uh, let's see. I don't know. Let's do, I, th- I say we go with the blue, the shitty blue box. <laughs> the shitty, dirty blue blocks. <laughs> you know, shitty. he could have used some of that, uh, uncle Fendi's fucking medicated powder on those. I was gonna say it doubles. It doubles as a sunglass polish. That's right, and a tooth polish. A tooth polish, multi-purpose sunglass buff. Uh, yeah. Okay. Well, every horrible thing aside from this movie, I find it very entertaining. I find it very rewatchable. Um, and for the type of movie it is, it is. I don't really expect or ask for much more. I give this. I'd give this four shitty pairs of blue blockers. Whoa! I told you. I told you of of the Van Damme cannon. This is one of my faves. So, so, so that is generous. Does like, does like Shawshank Redemption get like 4,000 out of five then? Is that, is that, is that how this works? Apples and oranges. It's a totally different kind of movie. (laughs) I know, I know, I know, I know. John, what do you? I'm waiting to. Know, I can't wait to hear what. What do you? I'm gonna it? go with. I and this is very generous on my part. Very generous. I'm gonna go with one and a half shitty blue blockers. I'm gonna go with two. I almost said one. Yeah, I figured you would. So, and I'm usually like, I'm usually with these sort of things. I feel like I'm, I'm the middle guy. Mm-hmm. So yeah, two, two. I went shitty. with one and a half because there were some things I liked. So. Yeah, it wasn't completely irredeemable in your eyes. Uh, no, it was. All right, well, it was fair but, enough. <laughs> but, like, if I put it this way, I've watched movies where I literally had to turn them off. Those get zero to a half star. <laughs> this, I could finish this, you know? I finished yeah. it. It's funny so. to just to see the difference in – you know, from one movie to the next and like nostalgia is one thing that it's probably a heavy factor into why one would like movies. But upon revisiting movies as an older person, a lot of times we're changing our minds. I still like this movie. I still like it just like I did when I was, you know, 8, 10, 12, whenever I'd rent it when we go to my grandma's place. Um, yeah, I don't, I don't know what to say. I, I, I guess I have a shit taste sometimes. <laughs> No, no, no! Like that's the thing. Like you read, like you read reviews of all these kinds of movies. There's movies that are far, far worse than this. Like by a by, like leagues that like there are people out there that are like this is and they're being genuine, man. There's the people that are just like they're being ironic, but then there's people that are like this is like the best fucking action movie ever made. Five stars, bam! You know, like yeah. so. Yep. So where would you put this? Is this a midnight movie? Is this? I would say it's definitely not past midnight. It's hovering somewhere in that that around ten to ten to twelve. Really, I think that we're gonna no. we're gonna be a far cry different here. For me, okay. this is like an HBO special that comes on like at least one a.m. All right. I mean, if you're to watch this movie on TV, how much of it could you leave in? How much could you cut out and it still make a whole bunch of 
sense or have any impact. There's, I mean, all the fights, it's a really fucking brutal, you know? I'm going to be the mediator here and I'm going to say it's exactly midnight. I, I'll say it's like, it's right around a midnight for me. Yeah, but we're not that too, di- we're not that too diametrically opposed here. We're, we're hovering all around in that same kind of swath. Well, I did. I mean, this this movie's. It, I do still think this is a brutal movie. Yeah. Um, I I definitely like wouldn't see it. I, this is a movie I picture myself watching, well after I should have gone to bed, for sure. Because you at that point in the evening you hate yourself and you're just trying to punish yourself. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> like I like. <laughs> I probably had a shit day and I'm like, you know what? This is the only thing. This is the closest I can get to suicide right now. (laughs) Hurt me, baby. (laughs) You just like, you're sitting in front of the TV with the lights off shirtless and you got like a bowl of like, like candy on your belly. You're just like melted ice cream. Yeah. I, I figure, I figure, Hey, whatever I can do to make tomorrow, make me feel shittier tomorrow than I did today. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm going to stay up and watch this God awful movie. And can, yeah. Can you get a hangover from watching a shitty movie? <laughs> <laughs> you can definitely get a hangover from eating candy at, at 1am and not going to sleep like you should. That's for sure. Sure. That's true. That's what I, that's what I call a straight edge hangover. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, Fantastic. So that caps off another wonderful discussion uh, between our round table. Well, and that brings us to a special moment because on the next episode, we have another guest. This time it's John's pick. So John, tell us who will be our guest and what movie are we going to be watching? So our guest will be Antonio, Antonio Marquez. um, One of my best friends, arguably my best friend. Um, from frontman of the hardcore band Spine. Um, so hopefully some of our listeners are familiar with them. Um, we will be talking about the Terminator. All right. Terminator. Yeah, I know you said it was going to be like a mainstream, like a more of a classic, a, a <laughs> accepted into the you know the mainstream sort of fl- film for sure. And and believe me, I considered it. Um, I mean, Antonio like had told me that this was the movie that he wanted us to do for a yeah. while because I brought up, you know, having him on as a guest. And I thought about it, like, you know, the mainstream aspect of it. But I also was thinking content, you know, like, yeah, what what is going to be a legendary episode with the four of us? And I think this is going to be good. And honestly, you know, it's I, it's completely coincidental because we don't talk about like what we're going to watch before we reveal it. But. We almost have a themed block here because we have Westworld, we mm-hmm. had tonight, and then we're gonna have Terminator. The only the combo breaker was mine was Q, right? Um, so we kind of almost by accident had a thematic kind of uh, line through line for all this, and I think this will be a a really good discussion to have after watching this movie. So I mean, the episode's gonna be like seven hours long. I just want you to we'll break it up. Yeah, we're we'll break, have, it, we'll break do, it up into a couple parts. We're gonna have to do a double VHS like The Godfather or something. Sure, <laughs> exactly. Well, that's great. I'm really looking forward to that and talking about that movie. So, fantastic. This has been another deep dive into midnight movie madness. Big thanks to Charlotte Blythe for our intro music. 
Our outro music is provided by Brandon, none other than who? Uh, yeah, and we're going to listen to In My Pocket by Ugly from Prescott, Arizona, and it's off the new LP called Autograph. Which uh, features guest uh, vocal appearances by myself and my partner, Charlotte, who did our intro music. So there you go. A little. We're all just one big happy fucking family. Keep it in the family, right? Uh, yeah, and it's a great record and great band, so highly recommend you guys all check that out. And if you want to check us out anymore, if you want to have a little dialogue with us off mic, you can email us at midnightflixpod at gmail.com, or you can follow us on Instagram at midnightflixpodcast and at midnightflix uh, TikTok. And signing off for Hondo. And Kevin Costner, Fender, Paul Reed Smith. This is Great Mockingbird. (laughs) See you in the future of the past next time.